So if you have your Bibles with me, please meet me in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 21. The text reads like this. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into uh, disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, that she may even be disposed from her magnificence she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they, heard, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city, with the, with the confusion, so, so the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Articaeus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the, uh, the Asians, or Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they had recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of, Ephesian, of, of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here, who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we... For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had heard these things, he dismissed the assembly. One of the men whom God has used in my life opened a sermon some years ago with the following personal anecdote. He said, in a previous life, I used to play college football. Now, when he says football, 
He doesn't mean the game that you play with your feet. He means the game that you play with your hands. So talk to Michael and Gloria after and they'll walk you through it if you're unsure. But he said, I played college football for four years at Texas Tech University. I was given a full scholarship which paid for everything. The only person that was happier than me, he said, was my father. For the next four years, everything was paid in full. My tuition was free. My books were free. My room was free. My meals were free. My laundry was free. But it cost me everything. I had two practices a day in 105 degree Fahrenheit heat. That's 40 degrees C for us. Uh, You could stand on one side of the field and look to the goal on the opposite end of the field and barely be able to see the goal for all of the heat that was rising on the field. And the coaches, he said, would kill us. If you ever missed a lesson, you were on the field at 6 a.m. the next day running the stadium stairs. We did every kind of weightlifting, every kind of gymnastics. The players would even practice fighting one another. I was hit so hard that I was numb and couldn't even feel the next hit that I received. I spent one entire term on crutches. Everything for four years was free, but it cost me everything. And he opened with that story to make this point, salvation in Jesus Christ is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. You see, when a person becomes a Christian, he or she is freely clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, freely forgiven of all sin, freely adopted into the family of God, filled with the Holy Spirit and guaranteed a glorified resurrection body in the new heavens and the new earth. But following Jesus on his mission will cost us everything. We're called to be light in a world that loves darkness. We're called to be salt, to preserve what is good in a world that calls good evil and evil good. We are called to a life of self-denial in a world that idolizes self-fulfillment. We're called to be sheep in the midst of wolves. We're called to follow a crucified king as we carry our crosses on the way to our place of crucifixion. Following Jesus Christ will cost us everything. Some of you know that more than others. There are some of you here today who have turned down job opportunities or relationships or pleasures or opportunities or comforts or wealth on account of following Jesus Christ. And the point of our passage today is this, gospel ministry is costly ministry. And by gospel ministry, I don't mean the the pastorate. The pastorate is costly in its own way. But I'm talking about ministering the gospel to those whom God has put in our lives, which is what God has called us all to do. And that gospel ministry is costly ministry. Now we pressed the resume button on our series in the book of Acts last Sunday night, and we were given an overview of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus was uh, Rome's capital city in the uh, province of Asia. It was steeped in witchcraft and sorcery and the occult. But as Paul preached Jesus Christ 
and him crucified, gospel victories went off like fireworks in the city of Ephesus to the left and to the right. We were even told in Acts 19.11 that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. What in the actual world? And then in in the end of verse 17, we read, fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And then after masses of spell books were burned as masses of occultists were saved, Verse 20 says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Oh, for days like that today. But wherever God is at work, the devil is at work as well. Hence, all of the opposition and all of the blood, sweat, toil and tears in our passage. So my hope and prayer for this message today, friends, is that you will be given a framework within which to understand the strained relationships that you experience among your friends because of your love for Jesus Christ. A a framework to understand why your family can be so divided at times. A framework within which to understand why people can hold you at a distance when you have extended grace and love to them over many, many years. And then on the, on the flip side, my hope and prayer for this message as well is that it will give others of you pause and cause you to ask yourself the question, why are there no strained relationships in my life on account of my love for Jesus Christ? Why am I never at odds with my unsaved family and friends? Why do All men speak well of me, since Jesus promised in Mark 13, 13, you will be hated by all men for my name's sake. And that's not for me to condemn you, it's for me to encourage you to take an inventory of your life. And for you to look within and have the courage to ask yourself the question, what is the outcome of my way of my professed faith? Because again, Gospel ministry is costly ministry. It will cost you everything. But we're going to see first today the cost for gospel hearers. That is the cost for those on the receiving end of our gospel ministry. The cost for gospel hearers. Look at verse 21 again. Luke writes, now after these events Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Archaea and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that God, God's made with hands are not God's. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, 
but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Gospel ministry is costly ministry for everyone, for those who share the gospel and for those who hear the gospel as well, because Demetrius heard Paul's message, Demetrius saw Paul's impact, and he put two and two together. If Paul keeps on preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord alone, and if people keep bowing to Jesus as Lord alone, I'm going to lose everything. If people keep repenting of idolatry, then my business is going to be like blockbuster video or like Blackberry phones, a thing of the past, buried in the past. Artemis will be no more. Her temple will be no more. My livelihood and my business will be no more. And so Demetrius had a choice. Either I will lay my business and my idolatry at the feet of Jesus Christ, or I will fight Jesus Christ in order to hold on to everything that I love And we know from our reading that Demetrius sadly chose the latter. But what I need to say to us all today, friends, is this. The gospel still demands complete surrender. Jesus Christ will share his glory with none other. He said in Luke chapter 14, 33, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And the heart over which Jesus smiles is the heart that is surrendered to him. The soul in which the Holy Spirit lives is the soul that is surrendered to Jesus Christ. And the person who has been adopted into the family of God is the one who has been surrendered to Jesus Christ. No one can serve two masters, for either he will love the one and hate the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Artemis. You cannot serve God and whatever the idol is for you. And so if you were to start following Jesus Christ as Lord today, then from what would you have to give up? Would it be a a, a relationship? Would it be a circle of friends who exercise a greater authority on you or influence on you than you do on them? Would it be your career because your job demands underhanded business practices for it to stay afloat? Would it be your sexuality? Whatever it would be for you, friend, remember this. Every loss for Jesus' sake is worth it because Jesus is worth more than the universe itself. If you only look to what you will lose, you will always seek to hold on to what you have. But if you look at the Jesus whom you will gain, then you will count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, our Lord. Friend, Jesus is the bread of life. And he will nourish you the way bread nourishes your body. Jesus is the light of the world. He'll show you the way when there is no way. 
Jesus is the door of the sheep who welcome you to safety when you feel like you're being hounded by wolves. Jesus is the good shepherd. He'll come looking for you when you've gone astray. Jesus is the resurrection and the life who will resurrect your dead soul and give you a brand new body. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life who will turn your world upside down and give you a brand new one. Jesus is the true vine who will enliven you when everyone else is wilting where they are. When Jesus takes up residence in your life, the dead idols must go. That's the way it works. Just after World War I, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of the great preachers of the 20th century, he was walking in the, the battlefields of Belgium and he could see miles of abandoned German artillery and tanks. And someone wrote this about that day. It was a lovely day in spring. The sun was shining. Not a breath of wind was blowing. As Dr. Barnhouse walked along, Examining the German war material, he noticed that the leaves were falling from the great trees, trees that arced above the road. He brushed at a leaf that had blown against his chest. It became caught in, it, in the belt of his uniform. As he picked it out, he pressed it in his fingers and it disintegrated. Dr. Barnhouse looked up curiously and saw several other leaves falling from the trees. It was not autumn. There was no wind to blow them off. They were the leaves that had outlived the winds of autumn and the frosts of winter. Now they were falling seemingly without cause. Then he realized that the most potent force of all was causing them to fall. It was spring. The sap was beginning to run. The buds were beginning to push from within. From down beneath the dark earth, the roots were taking life and sending it along the trunk, branch, and twig until that life expelled every bit of deadness that remained from the previous year. That's what happens to your idols when you get saved. Every dead idol is expelled because the new life of Jesus Christ is within. There is a cost. You will lose idols, but there is everything to gain in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's better by far. Gospel ministry is costly ministry for hearers, but they receive more than they could ever lose in the person of Christ. Well, second, we see the, the cost for gospel messengers. The cost for gospel messengers. Look at verse 28. Again, it says, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is, is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together in the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in, go to, but when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and that might have just been for the Jews to disassociate themselves with Paul's gospel. We can't exactly know. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, 
for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. What was the cost of gospel ministry for these gospel messengers? Danger. That's what it was. Now, we know from verses 35 to 41 that the town clerk took charge of the situation. He talked them down. He calmed them down. He said, these men aren't breaking the law, but you might be breaking the law and you might all be charged with rioting today. And we also know that Paul was spared from death here because the disciples and the Asiarchs, who were these Roman uh, officials, kept Paul from going in to the theater. But in the moment itself, these men did not know how things were going to pan out. All they knew was that this very well might have been their last day on earth. See, on this particular day, the Artemisia was in full swing. The Artemisia was a full month of celebrations to Artemis, this so-called stone that had fallen from the sky. It was probably just a meteor or something like that that they crafted into a so-called goddess. And that involved four weeks of drunkenness and flings with prostitutes. And that drunken debauched city poured in to the Ephesian theater, which could seat, get this, 25,000 people. That is five times the capacity of the Royal Albert Hall. And they set themselves in opposition to these worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone said, if someone had made the first move, 1,000 hands would have torn these men limb from limb. And yes, they were spared that. But being spared from physical danger was the exception rather than the norm in the life of the Apostle Paul. You remember back in Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul was stoned almost to death and was dragged out of the city because those who had stoned him assumed that he had died. And eventually the Apostle Paul would be beheaded under Emperor Nero on the 29th of June in 57 AD. The gospel endangers its messengers. And that can be the cost of gospel ministry. We've already seen why that is. Because the gospel calls us to surrender our idols and people don't surrender their heart's treasures very easily. And so now we need to ask, so what? That is, since the gospel does endanger its messengers, what then are we to do in the here and now? And my answer to that question is this. We must recognize the danger that we are all presently in. You see, the mistake that we can all make with a, a passage like this one is, is read about what happened to Gaius and to Aristarchus and to Paul and breathe a sigh of relief and think to ourselves, well, I'm so glad I don't have to deal with that in my life. The truth is, if you're a Christian, you are in danger. It may be a different kind of danger, but you are in danger nonetheless. And no, I'm not talking about conspiracy theories or possible doomsday scenarios. I'm talking about the spiritual war that every believer is in. Wherever God is at work, 
the devil is at work as well. And if you love the gospel, and if you are seeking to minister the gospel to others, then you are a marked man. You are a marked woman. If you love Jesus Christ, the devil hates you. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil is plotting against you. And again, you may not have physical enemies who are out for your blood, but the devil is just as real and he is 10,000 times the threat. It's why the Apostle Peter exhorted his readers, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He will seek to isolate you, remove a coal from the fire, and it will lose its heat. Remove a Christian from Christians, and it will lose its love for Jesus Christ. The easiest sheep for the devil to kill is the one who is all by himself. There really is safety in numbers. He will seek to lie to you, to steal, kill, and destroy your joy in Christ. And he will seek to tempt you. If the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he'll tempt you wherever you are. Therefore, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Friend, no matter how war-torn you feel today, no matter how bloodied, no matter how numb, no matter how exhausted you feel, keep going, keep fighting, keep walking, keep running, keep standing, because God is with you. God is with you wherever you go. I read this past week that a, quote, young William Wilberforce was discouraged one night in the 1790s after another defeat against uh, in his 10-year battle against the slave trade in England. He was tired and frustrated and he opened his Bible at random and out of his Bible fell a letter that he had received from John Wesley himself. And Wilberforce read that letter again and in that letter here's what Wesley told him. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Wesley asked. Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. 
Well, friend, if you're here today and you are a, a Christian, the devil is against you, but God is for you. And is the devil stronger than God? Then be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and go on in the power of his might. And allow me to, to close with this. Our perseverance is worth it because we are persevering toward a city that cannot be shaken. Where is Ephesus today? Where is Artemis today? Where is Demetrius' business today? Where is the theater of the Ephesians today with all of her 25,000 seats? Well, I'll tell you where they are. Buried in the dust of history. And if Gaius and Aristarchus and Paul had said, gospel ministry is costly ministry, let's just go with the flow, then they would have flowed downstream to hell. But since they persevered, they gained their lives. And now every tear of theirs has been wiped away. Every wound has been healed. Every sigh has fled away. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God of God. Gospel ministry is costly ministry, but friends, that is our destiny. Therefore, stand firm and press on. Amen.